0: What's up? Welcome to the first Barton and Bud show, man. Bud, uh, excited to get this going. We've been talking about this for a while. Um, we have been, uh, you know, friends in the industry for a while, and and have I've certainly been observing your stuff, and 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 excited to get you over at twenty four seven. And and now that you're here. You've been doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes, and uh, um, it's time for us to get in front of the in front of the mic and and start chopping this thing up, man. This is going to be really exciting,
1: dude. I'm I'm excited about this. That the Martin and Bud Show is live. First episode. This, this is. I think it's just a chance for everybody to kind of listen in on the conversations that we have in the office every day. With the exception that now we're not in the office because obviously the uh, coronavirus. So make sure you hit. That subscribe button on iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcasts or uh, whatever your podcast app is of choice. But this is going to be us. We'll, we'll sometimes we'll talk broad. Sometimes we'll just kind of deep dive and, and and go into a topic, and it'll be football and recruiting and, and everything in between.
0: You're one of the you're one of the podcast ogs. Like how long have you been doing the NoCast? Like
1: uh, I think 2011. So uh, nine years. Yeah.
0: So I I did a podcast in. In 2004, uh, no 2000. It would have been 2005. The spring of 2005, I was graduate. I graduated the previous January, and one of my roommates. We were all football guys who had played an extra semester and didn't have jobs yet, and we're just living in the house. And a buddy of mine said figured out this thing called podcasts and uh, and and got it going. We called it the Penalty Box, and it had nothing to do with hockey, but the the Predators play by play guy Pete Weber somehow dug it up and, he, and messaged us about it. and Was like, hey, nice podcast, like good audio. Like everyone was just figuring out podcasts, and uh, it lasted for a few weeks. We had MJ Garrett of the Real World, uh, former Vanderbilt football player, on there. That was our our our, our top guest. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I guess I beat you to it. But but your longevity <laughs> your your longevity uh, outlasted the. Uh, the penalty box, like month stretch.
1: You, you, you Ivy League guys have been everything, man. Facebook <laughs> in two thousand, podcast in two thousand five, and this, this is, this is interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. We, we, we're. Uh, this is going to be a little bit more high quality. I'm hoping.
1: All right. So today, uh, we want to talk about football and recruiting, but obviously, it's a weird time to do this, and we've been brainstorming all week, and and we're like, hey, we really don't want to talk about coronavirus, but at the same time, it has such a big, like, outlasting impact on things. We're, today we want to talk about how schools are dealing with this, which schools might be set up to weather the storm, which schools might really uh, be hurt by this, and then kind of get into some of the nitty-gritty of exactly uh, how some coaches and programs are, are dealing with this, how some players are, and what we think the effect on the sport will look like.
0: Yeah, so I, I thought maybe a good place to start Um or a place I'd like to dig into at least a little bit is, you know, look. Pretty much, spring practice is shot for for just about everyone. I mean, maybe there's some people that are holding out hope that there's going to be some more spring ball, but it's it's basically done. Like, unless they they pass some sort of legislation that allows for some June spring ball or something, I don't see this happening. So, which that sucks for everybody. This is that's just the reality. Um, I was kind of talking to my wife, like, look, we're all quarantined. Yes, our situation sucks. We've got, you're pregnant. We got two kids under five. We're, we're stuck in the house. But you know what? Like someone else has got three kids stuck in a condo and have to do home learning. And like it's everyone's situation is bad in different ways. But if you are a first year coach, you are basically, you're in a, Condo in New York with five kids and two working parents, and everyone's got to get their schooling in. Like it's the worst case scenario if you are a year one coach. And so I, I was sort of interested in just sort of going down through some of these Power Five programs. Maybe who is the who is the most compromised, most affected by this, particularly among the fir- the, the first year coaches maybe a couple that can kind of weather this a little bit, um, and just sort of go through the spectrum and and the uh, I don't know the the variety of of um, of impacts that uh, that some of these programs will have. So I'll I'll kind of kick us off. Um, and I'll speak I'll speak at least we'll, we'll start to say of Mississippi. I'll speak at least sort of in terms of my interest level. I think the old Miss spring practices, and the spring game was going to be fascinating because you had John Rice Plumley in this Rich Rodriguez offense, which was perfect for him, and which was going to be so excited to see him operate with all these really talented running backs that they had put together uh, at Ole Miss. And now Rich Rod's gone; Lane Kiffin comes in. John Rice Plumley, the more unique player, probably than Matt Corral. But Matt Corral certainly the more polished and and effective passer, which is a little bit more up Lane Kiffin's alley. So, I I, I just think that was going to be our first opportunity to see if if Ole Miss really had sort of gone in one direction or the other, and and what it was going to start to really look like.
1: Absolutely, I, I'm I was really excited to see that as well with with, with Ely. Obviously, like, like you said, there um, they've run some wildcat type stuff before under Kiffin, and they run a I know he runs sort of a similar offense to what Kendall Bryles runs, uh, who, who's now at Arkansas, another, another first year program. But like there, there are so many things, culture-wise, facilities-wise, ops-wise that you're trying to put in place as a first year coach. And you have such a limited time where you have that new car smell, right? Or new coach smell, if we want to call it that. And, and that's when you really get your buy-in. And part of that comes from people being around you and sensing your energy and Now nobody's around you, right? Most of these campuses are closed. A lot of these schools are work from home. I mean, I know a couple programs have a situation where, like, one guy from recruiting, one guy from training, and, and, like, one coach can be in the office, and the rest of them have to be at home. Like, that is going to be really tough uh, for Ole Miss there, especially given the schedule that they have to play. Uh, What about Mississippi State, though? I mean, Mike Leach, he brings in KJ Costello. Uh, the transfer from Stanford, they're trying to put in the, the air raid offense. Like, that's not something that typically looks all that pretty in year one. Like, that's that's an offense that depends on reps. And now, how many reps are they going to get? It's yeah. not like they're able to coordinate together.
0: Yeah. Like, I, I think that's going to be fascinating because, and for a number of reasons. First of all, fortunately for Mike Leach and, and the new coaching staff, they, they're not inheriting. Some sort of pro style system. At least Joe Moorhead had more of. I like, probably would have been tougher to make this transition from a Dan Mullen offense even than a Joe Moorhead offense. Uh, but that's. But but Joe Moorhead still isn't truly air raid, and so I, the, the the challenge is real. That said, like so, KJ Costello, I, I we'll talk at some point about this. I, I did a, a piece, um, or Brad Crawford for us at twenty four seven. Talked to me and and sort of took my 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 list of the top quarterbacks in the SEC returning. And I actually had KJ Costello number one on my list. A lot of people disagreed with that. But you know, part of my reasoning believing that KJ Costello was I, th- I think he's really good fit for the offense. And I think you can step in as a quarterback in that offense and be really successful really early. The problem is, is all the pieces around you have to be functioning at a really high level for you to be able to step in and be successful really early. Uh, Gardner Minshew was a summer enrollee and, at Washington State and was uh, placed, finished fifth in the Heisman Boating. So the quarterback coming in in the summer, I think, was going to be not devastating for Mississippi State. I think what's more interesting and probably the bigger challenge for Mississippi State is... In a lot of ways, Joe Moorhead did did some good things in Starkville. I, I think one area where he really whiffed was wide receiver recruiting. I, I went back and looked at let me let me rattle off these names, Bud, and tell tell me who who are these guys you're excited about. This is the three classes that Mississippi State brought in at the wide receiver position in recruiting: Devontae Jason, Stephen Guidry, uh, Jaquarius Spivey, Brad Cumbus, Cameron Gardner. That's that's the first year. Javante Payton, Quinn Torber, I, uh Pruitt, Isaiah Zuber as a grad transfer. That's year two. And then the year three, the guys that he left, Leach in this pre, this last class, Malik Heath, Jaden Wally, Caleb Ducking, and then Leach went out on the second signing period and got Rufus Harvey, who I actually think is a really good player who's kind of a sleeper guy. Like That's, for, for an air raid offense that is... I think it's so critical to have a really strong wide receiver group. That's a bad group that they that they left this new staff.
1: And, and you know specifically, let's think about what the types of players some of these guys are. like, like some of the names you listed off, you know, a a, Ghidri, a Heath, a, a Jason, I feel like our dudes who do have some athleticism and, and they are able to win physical battles, right? They can come down with the ball. Are any of those guys in your mind like really great precise route runners? Is, is Leach going to be starting from scratch here in terms of guys who really know how to get open and understand the finer intricacies of route running? I, I don't think so. And like, that comes with reps, and those reps are not happening now in spring for Mississippi State, which, which is, I think, to your point, right? Like the guys that they have are not that talented, and then the fit for, that, that they have of the guys is also maybe not ideal
0: and not only that but yeah and i agree i think that the the, the fit is like the body types aren't are separators they aren't guys that are um route runners to your point and and you know the air raid route tree isn't isn't too complex but it's also but but you would have to have some guys that that have some um some movement skill and space and and i don't know that this roster is full of those types and i think and this is a tangent that i will resist going on but Another critical thing that Mississippi State was going to need this year was probably a grad transfer at the at the wide receiver position, um, and it's going to be a lot trickier to navigate the grad transfer market now with without spring practice. Like, is there even going to be as much turnover in the grad transfer market when we when we see some of these guys that might have left after uh, their role on the team was identified, the writing sort of got on the wall. Um, I just I think it's going to be really interesting to see what is even out there in the grad transfer market. So that's another challenge ahead, I think, for, for Mississippi State and for any team that's, that's trying to, um, to go down that path.
1: There's no doubt about it, right? So I'll, I'll, I'll transition here and, and talk about a school that I'm very familiar with, obviously, with Florida State. And, and we know they would like to take another grad transfer or two on the offensive line. But to kind of tie this into the transfer discussion, Barton, we don't know if the kids who would normally grad transfer following the spring semester, if they're going to pass as many classes with taking all these online classes, with not having the same level of academic support, quote-unquote, right, when they're not on campus. And so the number of potential graduate transfers might not be the same following this spring uh, compared to what it was maybe last spring or the spring before, uh, simply because you have issues now where Maybe these kids won't pass enough classes. Maybe maybe they become summer graduates, or you know, pushing it back. Maybe even fall graduates. Like they're, that's that's a possibility as well. And like with with Coach Morvell, obviously put out some statements yesterday. Mike Morvell at Ford State taking over for Willie Taggart. It was a program that, need, that needs you know a lot more organization, and now he's having to try to do this all digitally. I mean, I know they have like they're sending you know they, all the stuff over the iPads to the guys. They're trying to do customized workouts but let's let's be honest here I, I, almost all of these coaches with the exception in my mind of what washington who was a continuity hire with, with jimmy lake taking over and any other pro- internal promotions i'm trying to Mem- think here memphis uh, i mean memphis, but that's, that's of right with Silverfield. Five,
0: um uh yeah but yeah i mean that's that that's they're like
1: mm-hmm. it's like year zero right, right. Like, like instead of year one this is almost a year zero if you're taking over a new program so much of your ability to to affect change now is neutered, especially if this goes, you know, deep into the summer. Um, And and we don't know what the implications are going to be. We don't know if there's going to be more, you know, basically like more time added on to fall practice. We don't know how it's going to impact the recruiting schedule. But I think if you're a fan of one of these programs with with, with a year one coach, you you kind of need to start be thinking of of this as as a year zero.
0: Hey, so what – among the schools in those in the year one, just from a just from a spring practice standpoint, a Florida State got a few practices in. B I don't know whether I've this is a misconception by me, but it feels like they've got some some leadership coming back. I mean Marvin Wilson returns, Tamari and Terry returns. Um, it feels like Florida State might not be it, the spring practice might not be quite as critical as some of these other year one programs. is that? Do you think I'm, I'm off on that? Where, where do you see that uh, with the Knowles?
1: No, I, I think that that's a fair uh, assessment if you're grading them as far as the importance of spring practice relative to the other year one year coaches, right. right? Because they, they do, you know, Marvin Wilson did come back. Like you said, Tamari and Terry came back. James Blackman's been very up and down as far as effectiveness, but most of the kids on that team do look at him, you know, as, as a leader. Uh, and Norvell does seem insanely organized. So I, I think there's a reason to believe that he will have all the information sent out to the kids. Now, can, can you trust that they're actually going to be looking at it? I know they can look to see how much time that everybody spends on their iPad. Uh, but th- this is going to be tough really for everybody. I mean, think about you got Michigan state, mm-hmm. right? W- when did Michigan state hire Mel Tucker? Like a month ago, maybe that was the first article I wrote for 24 seven sports. So it was February 10th. I mean, Barton, Mel Tucker basically had a month on campus before everything got shut down there at at Michigan State. A month. He might not see his players again until, what, June, July? It's not crazy to think that. The Olympics just got moved, and that's that's a summer event. Like If if you're Michigan State, that's got to be extremely concerning, and obviously the greater concern is corona, et cetera. Obviously, we get it, but we're talking football here. Uh, How about Carl Durrell at at Colorado? Even less time than, than Mel Tucker gets at Michigan well, and, State. And, and
0: Melt, so I just I literally just looked it up um because I didn't know and not I would have no reason to, but I think Michigan State's spring break then was that first week of March too. So assuming that there was a spring break, they basically had he's basically had two weeks. Like he's he's basically had two weeks with those players. Carl Durrell, similar situation. Um there and and I I've talked to coaches I think any coach that thinks they're going to be able to have access to their players before June is is not being realistic. I think June is a realistic, hopeful expectation. I, I am not convinced June is even a, like a safe bet. Uh, and so that now, not the, I guess the good news for for these coaches is like everyone is in this boat, but it sure does benefit some of these schools that got about five or six spring practices in before they get, you know, went off to, to spring break.
1: There, there's no doubt about it. I mean, and, and people who had their lifting plan, their, 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 post-spring lifting plan in some, some of the schools were like, I think Clemson got what, nine or 10 practices in. Yes. Yeah, I believe I read like, so in my mind, just transitioning here a little bit, programs who are probably best equipped to weather this storm, Clemson is an obvious one because you have Trevor because you have continuity in the coaching staff and because you did get most of your spring practices in and also because Clemson seems to have incredible buy-in right like if you tell me hey pick a team that you think is going to work their butts off at home based on these these Instagram or iPad workouts that get sent it's probably like I'm probably going to pick Clemson first just because those guys will run through a wall for Debo Swinney all the time and they really buy in to what he says uh and then I think also Texas a and 19 returning starters, including the quarterback, that they feel like they're working together and this is going to be a year, and we agree this is a year they have to capitalize on that schedule that they have. Uh, but then there's some some Power 5 teams too, man, that I'm kind of like, they're not a new head coach situation, but like LSU could really use this spring. Think about how much turnover that roster has. Think about their new coordinator situations uh, and on both sides of the ball, even though I know – you know, M. is still there, but they did lose Joe Brady. Who are some of the the, the non-year one coaching staffs who you think are going to be really equipped to weather this storm? And then maybe some who you have some concerns about.
0: Well, I mean, you're right. I, I agree with you. LSU is huge. Um, I was, I mean, so many guys. And then look, they're talented enough because th- the reality is, as much as LSU lost, they probably are talented enough to backfill and reload um, with the way they've recruited. Now, the the big issue there, though, is obviously the quarterback position. And, like, Miles Brennan, having a chance to really see him get his reps um, is, like, that's, that's huge. And so any of these teams that have limited experience, I, I just remember when I was playing, thinking back to spring ball, my my sophomore junior senior springs like those were the coaches almost didn't even, like they didn't even want me prep playing they, they didn't even want me getting reps it, 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 but but when I was a freshman heading into my sophomore year when I'd only started a handful of games like that was a time when comfort level of just calling the huddle comfort level of just you know communication and just seeing the reps like that's all critical and so the new guys stepping in at LSU, like they just if, if they just get if they get 15 practices of those reps, like that's huge to have them prepared for who they who's LSU playing early? Texas? So yeah, we,
1: they Texas early, yeah.
0: Uh so I mean that's, uh, that's we too, a huge I game yeah. week two with a with a senior quarterback coming back. So that that's huge. I think like another program I was really excited to sort of get a look at in the spring is as Georgia tries to revamp their offense. Um New offensive coordinator, new quarterback, and Jamie Newman. How, you know how modern could they start to, to to get this thing? How comfortable can they get with with the new system? And then, you know, I think you know when you look at Michigan. I was just looking before we got on this. Our boy Bill Conley, who I know you're former colleagues with, and and we're both friends with. He has back in I think it was in February. He he listed sort of the returning production in all of college football. And Michigan's 125th in returning production. And they've got a uh, quarterback competition. Joe Milton, Dylan McCaffrey, we don't know who it's going to be. Like That was going to be a critical spring to get those guys reps, A. But B, for for us to just find out what they've got at quarterback and for them to find out what they got. And I'll give you one more big one to me, which was Oregon. Um, Joe Moorhead coming in as their offensive coordinator. I assume Tyler Shuck is their guy at quarterback. Um, you know, this is a this is a program poised to take the next step towards like national title contender. I think to do that, you know, you you really need to to be have a comfort level with this offense heading into the fall.
1: And you know, who comes to town early for Oregon is Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. Which and they're,
0: they're going then they're they're going to be just fine. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And that, that's a good transition, by the way, if we want to jump into how this impacts recruiting. And I think we can get back to the strength conversation after recruiting. Like if you want to point out a team that is just absolutely killing it on the recruiting trail right now and doesn't like, does Ohio State know coronavirus is a thing? Because they're just out there just racking up commits. It's like, hey, no visits, no problem. We're just gonna gonna Skype these dudes and and, and get them jump in the boat. And not just you know, just good players, but like really elite. National players, I mean, they're getting these guys like well before they take official visits to their campus. Ohio State uh, seems to be playing a different game than everybody else right now in the recruiting trail, and I agree with you on the field. They should be ready. Yeah, I guarantee. Oregon, like to your point, they really are going to wish they had those spring practices. Not, not that they can't beat the Buckeyes because going out to to Eugene is is never easy. Uh, but like recruiting wise, Ohio State is is really killing it. And I know both of us have been talking to player personnel guys, coaches, and asking them recruiting right now, what what has stopped for you? What what are you still doing? What are you having to do more of? Exactly how has this changed your strategy? And I, I think some of their answers have been pretty interesting.
0: No doubt. Yeah. And and I think like one of the things that has has jumped to me, like as you were talking about Clemson and and the the teams that are still kind of rolling, it's the teams that are like when if you got an early start in this thing, if you have if you identified early who your targets were, if you got them on campus early, you started spring ball early, got them to visit for some practices. What an advantage that has become now, because if you think about what the spring is, like sure, the evaluation period is is big, um, the official visits are big, but a, a big part of it is I was talking to a, a a coach just before we jumped on and like a big part of what makes the spring so important for them is not like he was talking about how like their recruiting is a little bit on hold because typically this time is when you're getting a guy on campus for the second or third time for these unofficial visits hey stop by on spring break hey you know roll through when you can and and you're building these relationships and and now these guys these kids like aren't Really able to make those informed decisions, so I think the, the the programs that are advantaged, in my eyes, and from just talking to the coaches I've talked to the last couple of days, are, are going to be some some of these programs that are have a really strong local recruiting base, uh, who have a really strong talent pool to pull from. A, but B, are able to then like continue to do more instead of just like doubling down on film, which I know a lot of schools are going to do. It's also about sort of digging into more secondary resources and gathering more information from coaches, you know, the net, those sort of networks and, and getting a, a better, because ultimately, spring is a lot about just sort of building a comfort level with your takes, like making sure that a guy is not just an offer, but then a take. Uh, and so I think, though, like imagine a school like Nebraska, which is a national brand name but doesn't have a local recruiting base to pull from, they got to get guys to come to campus. They got to get guys to visit for the spring game. Um, they got to get out on the road and and show their face. Like That's the type of school to me that is really um, challenged and compromised as much as any in this sort of situation.
1: There's no doubt. So the, the schools that you have to fly to and, and the schools that we're going to use, Spring official visits, like especially that involve flights, are, are certainly hurt in this. I, I think your point about some of the more established programs having that head start and still being able to use that as an advantage is an interesting one. I, I agree with that point insofar as like, the kids that you have the huge head starts on that have already been to your campus multiple times, yeah, there's no doubt. Like, the, the other schools are not going to make up ground there. Uh, but I was talking to a coach, at, at a, at a, you know, he's a year one coach, at a school, and he was telling me he actually thinks for those prospects that some schools have a head start on due to the timing of the early signing period and how you know schools that did not make a coaching change are able to flip that flip that page on the calendar a little bit earlier. You know, he was telling me I I think that the ones who they haven't been recruiting for a full year but been recruiting for just a couple more months you know than, than the year one coach has been recruiting uh, he actually thinks that's that's going to kind of diminish that existing school's uh, advantage. Because now everybody's limited to just being on the phone for these kids who are not likely to commit you know, during the dead period. It kind of gives some of these year one schools a little bit of a chance uh, to, to play catch up a little bit and establish that relationship more over the phone. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on there. From an evaluation standpoint, yeah, there's no doubt they are going back in and looking at some film of some guys. If you guys understand how a recruiting board typically looks, right, you have – you know, maybe guys who are above the line and then you have guys who are sort of borderline and you have guys who are like clear backup plans. So right now what they're doing is they're going back and they're taking a look and saying, OK, for our guys who are maybe offers, right, or our primary backup plans. Is there anybody in in that group that after we go back and we watch the film again and we, we maybe we we talk to some more people like you said? Yeah, going out and gathering more background information on these guys is Is really key is there anybody from that group since we have all this free time now who we should basically take and say okay let's go ahead and and pull that guy and put him into a firm offer list and then they're going to trickle down and say all right from our like secondary backup list is there anybody who we should take and pull that up to our primary backup list after looking at more film because there's not new data coming in on most of these kids there's been very few camps so far to where they can get verified testing numbers uh Charles Power brought up a great point the other day. Like track season in high school is canceled, so for the most part, the most recent track times you were going to have are from a full year ago. And, and as we know, uh, recruiting is often a game of, of timing up purity, and a lot of these these times do change quite a bit from year to year. So from an evaluation standpoint, uh, they're they're pretty limited, and and they do have to get creative. Like they're not able to go out on the road and see these guys in person. They're not able to get you know, accurate measurements. Uh, now, because kids are not able to come to campus, they they don't have uh, verified times. But right now, they're just trying to figure out any little informational edge they can gain over their opponent, even though they're all operating at a bit of you know, information deficit compared to a a normal cycle. Um,
0: and I, I think the track time is, is is no the track information is no small piece of the puzzle too, especially like. There are coaching staffs and and Matt Rule in his time at Baylor comes to mind specifically where verified athleticism, combined data, track and field times are, are paramount. Like they trump all. They will take a ten five hundred meter guy with average film because they feel like they can coach him up. And so your entire evaluation process has to totally shift um, or get put on the back burner. And I think it's interesting too, like the, this, you know, there's a bunch of offers out there. There's a bunch, there. there's schools with hundreds of offers out there. And, you know, anyone that follows recruiting understands that those offers have varying levels of, of meaning of, of, of value. Um, and a big element, a big part of that is the camp offer. You know, like we've been talking as we go through um, our our ranking stuff. As we talk about players, and you know, as we're trying to figure out, you know, what schools' true opinions are on players. Like one one thing that will come up is, well, we're told he's a camp offer. Um, They want to see him in camp. They want to see if he can play. He's a safety. They want to see if they he can play linebacker. Things of that nature. And like, there's a there's a chance. (laughs) there is no such thing as a camp offer anymore like camps might not happen um i hope they do i um, but but who who knows and so what happens to all of those sort of tentative offers that just needed to be verified in camp like they may they may just dissipate and and you just have to wait until senior season so it's almost like we're turning back the clocks i mean look when i was being recruited in high school i didn't go to a single college football camp now I was playing basketball in the summer and maybe and I know a few other people did but that it certainly wasn't standard it wasn't like a thing that everyone was doing uh it, it might go back to just hey it's it's all the film and and what you put on film in junior year and and then what you put on film senior season
1: and 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 the the camp times and the track times like you mentioned that's how these schools evaluate what they see on the film or confirm rather, You know, what they see on the film. For instance, like generally, if we see a kid out of Miami Dade, he's playing 7A ball, right? Like we have a pretty good feel for for how good that competition is. And so if you outrun that, okay, but there are some areas where from year to year, you don't really have a great feel for just how good the kid's competition is. And evaluating the competition level matters a whole lot when you evaluate the film, right? We, We could put Barton out there right now, but if he's playing a ninth grade team, he's still gonna beat a lot of these guys. And, and that's, like, you have to be able to understand the competition level. And one of the ways of confirming what you see on the field, especially with the skill position guys, is, okay, nobody's catching him from behind. That's a great first sign. Then, then we look, and, go, oh, he runs a 10-4. Well, that's a really good sign, right? So th- they don't have that. They're not going to have the camp offers. So this brings up a point here that I want, I want to try and throw out to you. Some schools are going to go ahead and roll the dice, and not wait until the kids' senior season to see the guy these kids in person. Uh, and some schools are going to probably wait, and so we're going to have. We might end up seeing some schools, maybe that have a little bit less uh, prestige on the trail, go ahead and green light some kids to commit, who some of the bigger schools may want to wait a little bit until they have a chance to see them on a Friday night or stop by a practice. And this could set up for a tremendous uh, flip season, right? If you get a bunch of kids to commit in July, August to some kind of mid-level schools. And then all of a sudden the real big boys who can be a little more picky and choosy come, they see you in person. They like you a whole lot. All of a sudden they green light you to commit. We see this every year, but we could see a lot more of this this year because of how much the calendar uh, has slowed down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be really fascinating. It it would be really fascinating to sit in a a college football war room right now to, to make some of these decisions. Like, you know, I've talked to coaches before who have sort of mentioned how, in some cases, you almost don't want to like offer a player too early because you can sort of swoop in late and say, "Hey, man, we're just finding you. Um, let let's let's build this thing. Uh, we love you." Whereas if you offer them early, then you got to recruit them. You got to fight off other folks all along the way, and in a way that this this could sort of put a pause on on where everyone's recruiting efforts are right now. And everyone can will kind of dig into their targets, uh, see who they can get committed right now. Um, and then, and then kind of reassess uh, because again, like we talked about, there's not that new information coming. Uh, so, but, but like, yeah, I could m- maybe the play is to just, to just hold off and, and blame it on the, the quarantine when you come in late and, and and then you're the fresh new face, uh, whereas the, you know the 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 program that maybe a kid had been committed to before, he hadn't visited, he's not spending a lot of time on campus, he's not you know there's just phone relationships being built here, so I think it's going to be really interesting just to see the balancing act that these schools sort of have to go through with this.
1: On a on a bit lighter note because there's no spring practice at the high school level because there's no spring games there's no basketball games there's no track events I was talking to a guy who runs digital media for recruiting in, in the personnel department and he's like man we're trying to find all these creative ways to send these kids you know graphics and normally it's like hey you know good luck on your first week of spring practice this week good luck on your second week good luck on your spring game tonight blah 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 now it's like Stay safe and, and and family. You know, hashtag all in or whatever. Because <laughs> right. it's like like they're like we want to communicate with these kids as much as possible, but we like we, we're trying to find reasons to send these guys graphics above and beyond just the kind of standard you know, graphics and edits that we would normally send them. And it, it's it's a bit of a challenge. But like like they're, the schools are are you know stepping up exactly how much stuff they uh, they send via digital and then also you know via mail. But uh, yeah, you, I, I just.
0: Have you checked out um, what Kansas has been doing?
1: With their, you've
0: been paying attention, just in general. Like I, it's it's gonna be a a kind of a a bit of a race to see who can mobilize and and actually you know not waste this time. And I gotta say, man, I've been impressed with with what Kansas has been doing. Like Steve Wilfong wrote a story, um, maybe it was last week on the they had a virtual Junior Day. Uh, which is, and that's right out of the gate. That's right when like just everyone's just starting to get locked down. Uh, so they had a virtual junior day. They had like all of their coaches and their, and their coaches families. They, they set up like a bracket of like TikTok competitions, basically where like they did whatever dances or silly goofy stuff and had fans vote on which coach should advance to the, the next gra- round um, now they're doing, you know, Brent Deerman, their offensive coordinator, quarterback coach sort of went through today and did like a step-by-step kind of how they go through their, their warmups and their practices with the quarterback position. I just think like of any program, they are, they, they, they have made themselves the most visible and most engaging. And, and I'm, I'm going to be interested to see kind of who can step up their game. And and, because obviously that's what everyone's doing right now too, is figuring out how to, like you said, still engage recruits, still be out there um, without much to really talk about.
1: So I I think there is a direct relationship between how quickly these programs are doing this and how much their coaches actually believed that this COVID-19 thing was going to be real. It was actually going to shut them down, right? Like we talking to coaches, not last week, but the week before, Right none of them thought this was going to shut their schools down really. Like, they just didn't. And I was like, I, I don't know, man, you see all these other like government run institutions that are getting shut down and being told to work from home and kind of closing. And, uh, you know, you see the Ivy's canceling spring practice, like this could be a thing and, and kudos to Kansas for, for getting creative and getting out in front of it. I, I think we'll see more schools, uh, do that now because I think they're realizing, Hey, we're going to have to hunker down for probably a pretty good bit of time. Uh you could you could host a junior you know a digital junior day this weekend there's nothing to stop you everybody's pretty bored at home you know like ne- <laughs> netflix only has so many do, shows right? <laughs> they they do like like listen to this podcast right i mean i think it's pretty high quality but at, even if it's decent quality we know you're going to listen to it during quarantine um, like the, the ways to be creative i think as far as your marketing and recruiting are are really key but also I mean, if you want to transition over here a lot of schools are having to get creative with how they administer their strength and conditioning programs in the off season, man. Like I I was reading an article from Ryan Abraham on our USC site. And he was talking about how USC was using Instagram to uh, administer their strength conditioning program, like a private Instagram page. And it had different level workouts for kids who had access to gyms, which in the state of Florida, where I live, all the gyms are closed by mandate of the governor. Uh, Kids who have access to some weights at home, you know, maybe like dumbbells or, Whatever, and then kids who are relegated to just body weight, and then trying to get the meal plans out to these guys—like this is a logistical nightmare. Tr- trying to get your roster to look anywhere close to what it might have looked like uh, come fall, had you actually been able to have you know kids on campus for April and May, and and maybe even June weightlifting.
0: Yeah, and and that brings up. So first of all, yeah, like the 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 strength coaches, man, they're they're making their money uh, on this one to to figure out a, a way to totally re just create. I mean, they don't have one of these in their back pockets. Maybe they do to some degree, but they don't expect to have to use it um, potentially body weight strength and conditioning programs for an offensive lineman. Um, but also like when you think of some of the challenges that are arising, like there are guys that don't have a lot of resources at home to be eaten that well. There are guys that, come from really rural areas that might like I've talked to coaches that some of their guys don't have internet. And so what, how do they even, uh, you know, it's just a challenge, the communication and, and certainly the academics uh, for the most part is is the biggest thing there. Um, So how does that, how, how does that work? And then just the, just the health of the players, like here, here's this to me, and this is probably something that we can dig in on even more in another, in another date. But like one of the things and one of the themes um, and some of the coaches I've talked to that I really respect is, is that this, this, this subject comes up is not sort of who's going to be ready, who's going to be in shape, but like how are we even going to like train and practice once we finally get these guys in a way that's safe and healthy and like in a way that they will actually be prepared for games. Like, are they even going to, is it even going to be realistic for them to be prepared for a game in late August is, is, you know, how are we going to be able to limit injuries given that some of these guys might've been sitting, eating, eating poorly getting limited workouts for the better part of three months. Like, there's just some real sort of macro sort of next level issues that are go beyond even just learning the playbook, but but more about just being physically prepared to go out there and compete.
1: And, and I, I think from a, a projection standpoint, like you' co- if you're a coach right now,' you're, you're, you're daydreaming what's my roster going to look like come fall? Like okay, well, can we do this? Can we do that? You're already anticipating certain problems just from having seen these kids maybe after a spring practice or two, now you're going to get some curveballs. Oh, hey man, this offensive lineman who ended up having uh, having knee surgery, maybe his rehab didn't go so well, and he shows up, and and you know we're going to list him in the media guide at 3:30, but we act we actually know he's 375. You're like like there's going to be some curveballs with your roster. Oh, this guy we needed to put on weight. Well, it turns out his family doesn't really have the means to get him you know uh, enough protein, and so he wasn't able to put on on that weight. There's going to be some dudes who are not are not going to look like what these coaches expect them to look like. So tracking and monitoring them to kind of be familiar with their progress over the summer is also a logistical challenge. Like, are you going to have these dudes basically hop on their bathroom scale? Right. And I mean, for some of these offensive linemen, it's going to say error, you know? So (laughs) like, like, I mean, this is, this is a real challenge. Nutritionally, you and I are are both very pro player, I think, and, and support common sense, name, image and likeness and whatnot. But there's no denying that feeding these kids it's really expensive, man, especially to get them good quality nutrients and a lot of these kids come from, you know, lower income situations and probably the situations that are most vulnerable to perhaps losing their their jobs during the coronavirus scare. Like there's going to be a good chance that they're not getting the kind of calories either in terms of the quality or the quantity uh, that they need at home. And you're right, like they're going to come back to fall camp some of them are going to be out of shape, some of them are going to be much smaller than than the coaches wanted to be like the the certainty we have with respect to the player personnel on the roster is I don't I can't remember a time when it's ever been greater than than it is now.
0: Yeah. I, and I I think I think all of this if we're spinning it all the way ahead to actual on the field football and you you tell me if you disagree bud and 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 you tell me cuz you're a you know, you got the sort of analytical uh Matt what was your major? What would you major in in college? Uh,
1: I was communication studies and business, but I, I probably should have done like actuarial sciences I, I i like math
0: yeah i so. can tell i can tell you're kind of a math <laughs> guy so like there there's going to be i feel like um more uh chaos and what what's the word i'm looking for uh very very vari- variability or I mean, like there's going to be a lot more swings and teams based on the, just the unpredictability of like what the rosters the 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 roster isn't gonna be what we expect it to be. It's not gonna be what the coaches expect it to be. It's so I just I'm interested in and even from a gambling perspective, like um, how this might look in the fall in terms of being being predictable. I think college football is already a pretty unpredictable game, but um, it feels like this is gonna make this season even more so.
1: Like we are going to learn so much in the month of September assuming the games actually get played which i i think they will uh most likely but like we're going to learn so much about these teams in September and we always do but this is going to be to a greater extent because normally we don't have all these questions and we're not going to be like oh man this 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 position unit on this team that we thought we could count on now may, maybe not so much like there's going to be quite a bit of variance like you said i'm variance. i'm really excited the word i'm looking for I thought you said variance.
0: I said vari- variability or something. So there's not even like a word, I don't think.
1: All right. Hey, it's it's, it's quarantine time, man. You, you got you got two kids and a pregnant wife. I'm, I'm, we're going to cut you all the slack. Um, so like, and what about rehab, right? Like how many of these kids, I, I think this depends on on states and whatnot, but a lot of these kids rehab at the football facility now. Are they going to be able to, to get transportation and go to their rehab facility? Well and and yeah Back so home? like
0: I think that's a, and and do we then like all right um Trey Sermon just just off the top of my head here so Trey Sermon he t- he tore his ACL right in the fall um and I think it was an ACL and missed the season and is is certainly slated to be ready to go in the fall he transfers to Ohio State I would assume uh, like my my perspective on Trey Sermon as a player, if he's healthy, is that he is more than likely the most talented running back that will have come available on the transfer market. That would be my guess. Who knows who's comes available? But and, and Ohio State is is a school that needs running back depth. Got it in Trey Sermon. He is probably a guy that fits really well in the Ohio State offense. He is he is a guy that is a better pass catcher than Master Teague, the guy they already have. And so this could be like a real impact position for a potential national championship team. Do do then you sort of uh, subtract a little bit of that impact? Because, hey, I'm a, I'm a little bit less confident in Trey Sermon's health because he's going to be continuing his rehab at home versus in – whether is I don't even know if he's on camp you know, Oklahoma or Ohio State facility or any medical facility for that matter. Like, does that change the way we calibrate a guy like that? I, I think it's I think it's a, a fair question.
1: It's absolutely a fair question. In some ways, I don't know if this is wrong of me to do, but like, are there some programs that you just kind of have trust in that you just feel like they're going to be on top of that? They're going to find some way to make sure that he. Has access to the right rehab facility, and that and that it gets done. Like, like, do do you give Ohio State the benefit of the doubt, almost like you would with, you know, the Patriots, or you know, like before we figured out they were cheating the Houston Astros in in baseball, or, like, but yes, I think to your general point, yeah, I mean, we we should probably be concerned about some of these guys completing their rehabs. I mean, transportation to rehab, insurance for rehab, all those things are are relevant issues, and, and I think the insurance issue is really complicated, but. Uh, like, there's so much we don't know and coaches for the most part are control freaks I know the ones you talk to like the ones I talk to this is driving them nuts and there's and, and they're helpless there's not a lot they can do about this they they t- all talk about control what you can control but implicit in that is sort of understanding there's a lot you can control here as a college coach there's not as much as you would like to be able to control like it's hard to you know, it, it's, it's hard for them to, to run these things and um, we might see wild swings in terms of the programs who effectively navigate these waters and, and those who do not.
0: And, and this is probably uh, a time in which your support staff, like what, like coaches aren't, it's not really their, they don't think of it in their job description for the most part, like coordinating where you're going to work out, uh, coordinating how you're going to figure out your rehab. Uh, and it's really not their job so this is i think when you look at schools that will be able to um you know be less impacted by this than than others it's it's the schools that have a really deep bench of support staff a really deep bench of dietitians of analysts of um not even analysts not cuz those are just coaches for the most part but but of of player development type staffers um you know, I, I think those are going to be the programs that kind of navigate their way through this most effectively. And, and uh, th- that's this is kind of their time to shine as much as anybody.
1: There's no doubt about it. And you know, another thing here is academics as far as like, like a dirty little secret. I don't know if a lot of people realize, but sometimes kids need spring ball to make sure they stay eligible for fall ball and not spring ball, right? But like the spring semester. You know, I, I know of a couple examples out there where this kid, if he doesn't pass a lot of these classes in spring, and, and spring's a lot of times where you you take a little bit heavier course load, you, you got to make sure you get you get enough grades in to make sure you actually have the academic progress and and the GPA to be able to be eligible come fall. I know there's coaches out there right now who are worried about that subject, and they're like, man, I just I don't know if we can trust this kid working on his own. I mean, we're going to have the the academic support there for him, but it's not the same thing as having him come into, come into tutoring, you know, have the sports staffer, make sure he, ha- he has his books and, and, you know, kind of read with him through all the material and not quote unquote do his work for him. But and I think we all understand in some ways, college ball is a little bit like minor league football and, and things get done that have to get done. So uh, some programs are going to have to be pretty creative in how they handle uh, online courses.
0: Well, yeah. uh, if, if you will.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah,
0: look at, uh- Every program, as you could be the best program in the country with the best kids in the country, but every program's got a couple knuckleheads. And uh, I was talking to a, a coach today, uh, and who sort of brought this up. It's like, look, we've got our handful of guys that we have to like. We got to hold their hands. We got to get them to class. We've got to get them to do the right thing. And now those guys are home, like playing Xbox all night. And like there, there's, there's really, what do you, what do you do? Like if at school, even if, even as you're trying to hold their hand and get them to class, well then if they don't, then the next day they're in there in the morning doing stadiums or whatever, you know, running, do, doing, doing, punishment workouts. And, and that's a, that's a check on them to, to keep them on the straight and narrow. And now like there is no check on them at this point. like, the best you can do is just <laughs> kick them off the team. And some of these guys are really good players for, you know, th- th- so it's, it, that, that is another challenge. I think that is, you know, it's not, it's not just, Hey, get your leaders to, to get you guys to work out. I mean, what if some of your best, what if you got a couple of really good players that just, just don't do anything. They may not be eligible by the fall. Um, and uh, we'll, you know, and, and they'll come up with every excuse in the book to, to, to not do the work. And so, um it's gonna be I think a challenge of leadership and a challenge of communication and uh and probably player accountability as much as anything like the whole taping your workouts and videoing them and posting them on Instagram so that everybody sees you did it um this is gonna be the first time in history where like the old like hey look at me I'm grinding video <laughs> is actually like Yes, like do it. Like we need to see you grinding for once. Like I always I always roll my eyes at, you know, if you don't post it on Twitter or Instagram, it didn't happen when you're working out. But no, finally an excuse to go in the weight room and post yourself doing uh doing curls.
1: How many coaches do you think had to sign up for an Instagram like like th- th- this week J- just just to keep track of this? I mean, it it's it's kind of similar to how okay, normally in the summer you probably have like ten or twelve June enrollees because a lot of programs do a lot of early enrollees now. So maybe half your class comes in over the summer. And as coaches, you're like, man, we sent these guys the workouts. we We hope they're doing them. Now it's as if you have seventy or eighty summer enrollees. Right. You know, everybody's coming back to campus. And if some of those freshmen don't do the workouts like you asked them to do or didn't report exactly in the shape, it's not going to take your season. But if these other guys do it, like your t- season could really be shot. And there's just a lot we we can't know, and there's a lot these coaches just can't know. So, you know, recording these workouts is is a pretty big deal. And I think you're like you're going to see a lot of coaches watching those those recorded workouts and ask the players, "Hey, record your workout. We want to we want to uh, we monitor your form to make sure you're doing it safely, right? Like that. That's the reason we want to see this.
0: Ultimately, that's going to resonate. And be be more palatable for these guys if it's coming from, you know, their position group captain or their the the leader, within the locker room. So, um, so it gets back to that. It gets back to the experience. It gets back to whose experience. It gets back like I, you know, when when I talk to coaches who are who have experienced rosters, like surprisingly, they're not that stressed about this because they kind of know what they have. And, and we'll see. I mean, I, I think the, the other thing that sort of amuses me about this is this is totally flattened. Like everyone, th- this coronavirus doesn't discriminate, you know, the amount of money you have is isn't going to keep you from getting it, the, you know, where you live, who, who you're friends with. None of that's going to keep you from getting it. These coaches, a lot of them, they're going home and like they have to be Mr. Mom. <laughs> like they they can't just hide out of the office. They have to be home. And they've and, and like it's it's just really th- their whole their whole life, the, the coaching community is all about this like regimented, like a they're they're on the road recruiting. Then it's camp season. Then it's, you know, they have their July is like their family time when like they have the, the month off and that's when they get their vacations in. That's when they spend time with their family. Now, like everyone, if if you're sitting in your, you know, 1100 square foot house or something, and you're uh you're you're locked in there with your 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 kids and your wife, and your wife's trying to work and you're trying to work, and hey, you're just like that coach. Maybe they got a little more square footage to work with, but uh, <laughs> but they're they're still going crazy just like you.
1: Yeah, there's there's no doubt, and, and I they're not gonna be able to tell their significant other, hey, honey, I, I got to go watch film in my office today for eight hours in the house she'd be like no uh -uh, take take the kids right this is yeah or at least that's how that would go my house that's right um
0: you and me both
1: (laughs) oh man um do we did like almost uh almost an hour you you want to save the quarterback rankings talk for next week
0: no doubt i think we i think we we kind of hit all the angles of the coronavirus at least in 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 one uh you know one one bite-sized podcast so we'll there'll, there'll be more to dig into more angles Sort of reveal themselves as this thing plays out, and we'll we'll keep on digging in. But hopefully, we'll have some non-coronavirus uh, podcasts to come as well. You know, kind of kind of get our mind off it and just talk ball a little bit too.
1: No doubt, I know we'll have some good guests coming up as well, potentially. So uh, everybody's pretty free right now. Um, yeah. We're we're gonna do once you know once a week in the off season, most likely special bonus episodes not included in that. And uh, during the season, we, we plan to do this twice a week so definitely like and subscribe to the barton and bud show or whatever podcast provider you like and, uh, and tell your friends if you enjoyed it
0: all right